is that. <clears throat> but turn, if you would, in your um, in your Bibles. And uh, if it's if you've been here before, if you haven't been here before, just a reminder. Some of you, I don't want to confuse you. Sometimes I preach out of two texts. Um, use the Holman Christian Standard and the New King James, just to give you a refresher of being able to see the Word of God in different lights. And if you haven't been here before, just a reminder. You have notes on here as well, but also. Um, going to use this as an opportunity at the end. Uh, just uh, You can write in here. of um, just uh, If you haven't been here before, just fill out the communication card, drop it in the offering at the end, and any prayer requests, and um, also just uh, be able to communicate with me. So, <clears throat> Thank you. All right, just turn if you would. We have been going through uh, the life of Christ and a little bit and looking back at who Christ is, but turn if you would to Matt, uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 18. Mark chapter 2, verses 18. <clears throat> and uh, last, um, last week we talked a little bit about Jesus' authority. And before I read the passage here, just give you a background. We were talking about um, Jesus' authority. And one of the things I usually try to do is talk about, give an introduction and uh, the authority, what was Jesus' authority authority last week, and we talked a little bit about how um, the new priority had and the message, but um, had this illustration, just wanted to um, share with you, because sometimes authority, people just claim authority, whether it be a parent, you know, I'm your parent, so I have authority, or I am your boss, or I am your um, police officer. Well, um, there's an example of, of arrogance of authority. People in authority can also be very arrogant. And there was a DA officer who was stopped at a ranch in southern Arizona and was talking with the old rancher. And he told the rancher, I need to inspect your ranch for illegally, illegally grown drugs. The rancher said, okay, but don't go in that field over there, as he pointed to that location. The DA officer verbally exploded, saying, Mr., I have the authority of the federal government with me. Reaching into his rear pants pocket, he moved his badge and proudly displayed it to the rancher. See this badge? This badge means that I'm allowed to go wherever I wish on any land I want. No questions asked and nor answers given. Have I made myself clear? Do you understand? The rancher nodded politely, apologized, and went about his chores. Short time later, the old rancher heard loud screams, looked up and saw the DA officer running for his life, being chased by the rancher's big Santa Gertrudis bull. With every step, the bull was gaining ground on the officer, and it seemed like that he'd get gored at any moment until he reached safely. The officer was clearly terrified. The rancher threw down his tools, ran to the fence at the top of his lungs, and says, show him your badge, show him your badge. So just understanding the authority... Uh, Sometimes, even though he had that badge, it doesn't matter. But Jesus Christ, he had authority. And as he, was, as he was explaining who he was and what his mission was, even being sent by the Father. And today we're going to look at how he has his interpretation of Scripture. What was the right interpretation of Scripture? Because many at that time, they understood, they knew Scripture, they knew the Old Testament. And even living in today, there's many who know some scripture. You know, if, if you are in, the, in at work or any other, there's certain verses that they remember. There's certain passages. Don't judge. Um, or John 3.16, that's a familiar verse. But uh, what we're going to look at this morning is the fact that Jesus' interpretation of scripture and the right interpretation of scripture. So follow along as I read. I'll be reading uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 18. 
and we're looking at verse 18 through chapter 3, verse 6. So starting in verse 18, it says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. People came and asked him, Why do John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, The wedding guests cannot fast while the groom is with them, can they? As long as they have the groom with them, they cannot fast. But the time will come when the groom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, a new patch pulls away from the old cloth, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst, the skins, and the wine is lost as well as the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. On the Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to make their way, picking some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? He said to them, Have you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the sacred bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests, and also gave some to his companions? Then he told them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that he might accuse him. So that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Step forward. Then he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him, and they might, how they might destroy him. Just a commentary we see there. But shall we go to the Lord in prayer before we begin? Heavenly Father, we just ask that you truly might intercede that we might be able to understand your word. And Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you that we can even look at the text, look at the surrounding um, passages, but Lord, that we can know truth. Father, you are truth. And I pray that you might work in our hearts. Help us to see where we need to change, whether we need to submit to your will. But Lord, help us to understand what your desire is for our lives. And Father, I thank you that we can see that through the Word of God. So Lord, we love you and ask that uh, you would bless. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. <clears throat> so the first thing we see as we look at this passage is, is, first of all, how do we interpret biblical truth versus religious traditions? And I believe that's important because oftentimes in our history, especially in the history of church, religious traditions have become as authoritative as biblical truth. And that has been a failure by many within the churches. But we need to make a distinction between these. And here Jesus gives people, especially believers, proper insight into how to live biblically and godly. And that's important because it's all about hermeneutics, how we interpret the scriptures. And we want to interpret the scriptures factually and correctly. And so we believe that context, we believe historical, we believe cultural, and those are all important in, as we look at the passage. And so first of all, we see that, for, that people notice a difference in the two religious groups. If you look at chapter 2, verse 18, 
And as it says there, uh, the disciples of John and the Pharisees were fasting. Then they came and said to them, Why did the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Now, there's nothing wrong. It doesn't say that fasting is wrong. Um, fasting occurs. And um, at that time, the Pharisees fasted on Tuesdays and Thursdays. It was just routine. They would fast. Imagine that if you had to, had to fast regularly a couple times a week. There are different um, religious groups that fast periodically. And um, it is an essential part of, I believe, a growing Christian life. But there are no necessarily directions of, dis, of given mandates that you need to do it this day or this day. But what we see here is that the, definitely there will always, always be people questioning how you live out your Christianity. And this is important. And they're it, comparing it to other, others as well. This religious group does this. How come you don't do it? You know, how come we don't participate in Ash Wednesday, Ramadan? How come you participate in Christmas but not in this? And so how you live out your Christianity, I believe that others will try to ident will identify and see that and sometimes make a distinction because I'll be honest, there are other religious groups that are much more pious than whether it be the Baptists or some Christians, Bible-believing Christians. They fast all the time and they are pious. But in that, they don't have a relationship. It is why they do that, their motivation behind them. This is what we look at, because I believe that the Pharisees were a pious group. They really wanted to live spiritual, if you will. But we're going to see behind this. And so the topic we have here is a fasting. And the question, I've kind of broken it down, is, is why are you fasting, they're asking. Or really, they're asking, why are you not being spiritual like this group? Why are you not being spiritual? Because that's how they see it. Why are you not being spiritual? Even as we look at it a little further, it goes on <coughs> and says, um, why are you not fasting like? Because if you think about it, these are two different groups. John the Baptist's disciples, and this was during the time when John was in prison. And so John the Baptist's disciples, they're fasting, and the Pharisees are fasting. So these religious groups who um, are Hebrews, and they're, they're fasting. But Jesus' disciples, and Jesus here, but why aren't you fasting? Isn't this a way of becoming more spiritual? And so the question, first question we deal with here is why were John's disciples and the Pharisees fasting? So understanding is that, as you see, in, as I read in verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 18, fasting, there are many different types of fasting. We don't know which one specifically it was, but they were obviously involved in a fast, probably a common fast. And they were following the rabbinical teaching called the Mishnah, that interpreted the law in the Old Testament. And so you have the Torah. The old Jewish believed in the Torah, the Mishnah, and the Gemara. And the, um, the Mishnah, remember, were the Jewish rabbinical teachings. On what, about, what does this say? Well, how do you interpret that? And so they had put in all of these different teachings. If you here are just some of them. Um, the commentaries of the famous rabbis, being esteemed to the point that they were elevated to the level of Scripture. And there's nothing wrong with fasting in itself, but what happened is he explains what is the motivation behind this. Why were they fasting? What was taking place in the, in the fasting? If we look at even, even the Mishnah and some of the, some of the laws and regulations that were in place, they elevated them as high as scripture. So you have to follow after these fasts on Tuesdays and Thursdays. You have to follow these letters of the laws that the rabbis have taught in order to be spiritual and to be in a right relationship with God. 
And that's the danger because it was elevated to the point of Scripture. Now we can compare that to religious teachers of the day in being spiritual in how, that's, in how we interpret that. You know, even in different religious groups, there's, you have to do this in order to be in a right standing with God. As Baptists, we believe in one of the distinctives is indip- individual soul liberty and understanding that we can read the Word of God and we can be in a right standing before God. And we can know that. And that is the beautiful thing with, to have the Holy Spirit that is present and living and dwelling inside each believer at the moment of um, a relationship with Christ, at the point of salvation. But here, the question is, why were they fasting? And so they were simply fasting because they were trying to follow after some of the laws and regulations of the rabbis. So the second thing we look at is what was the purpose of fasting? Why were they fasting and why should you fast? And this is where the rabbis and others at that time, the scribes, were trying to discuss what was the purpose of fasting. Well, Jesus responds in in verse 19. It says, as he states, it says, And Jesus said to them, Can the... Friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them. As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. And remember, Jesus starts speaking to them in parables. In these stories, and it's like sometimes they don't understand, but they would have understood culturally what that meant. Because even as I, um, I read in verse 19, it says, The wedding guests cannot fast while the groom is with them. Or the wedding chamber, it talks about the sons of the bridegroom, and literally. And at that time, there was, when they had weddings, there were witnesses. And um, the bride had ten witnesses, and the um, groom had ten witnesses. And it was quite an ornate deal. But um, I was going over and studying about even the fact of the wedding. And weddings were very different at that time because they signed a contract in an agreement. Sometimes they were young. They weren't even at the age of consent as we look at it, but they were signed into wedding and and then there was a preparation time, but they were legally married. So as we think about Joseph, we, we look at Joseph and Mary um, being engaged. They were legally married. And so it could, it could only be annulled by um, a divorce. And so here, what, what happens is after the wedding, there was a time where the uh, bridegroom would go and prepare the home and get everything ready. And then the time would be go get his bride. And when he would go get his bride, there was... There would be a, a, um, a celebration. They would go, and it was, it'd be, you have to have witnesses. And I won't go into the details, maybe at a different message, but there was where the, the literally when they came to the time of the wedding, there was a, a room where they would consummate the marriage, and there was no ornate ceremony where they would say, I do, I do, you know, do you take so-and-so. There was a, they would go, and, and the witnesses would be outside the room, and then there was evidence that consummation had occurred. And that was what it's referring to in the sense that these bridegrooms were waiting outside the room, or the friends of the bridegroom. <clears throat> so I say all that in the sense of, and how does that relate to fasting? First of all, because weddings were a time of joy. And the purpose of fasting is a sign of mourning. If you think about fasting, there's a time of mourning, a time of, of really... The, um, pain, there's something that is on your heart, heavy. And Jewish weddings were all about joy. The wedding guests, there were those witnesses who would come, and then there would be a feasting that often lasted a week. And it wasn't about mourning. It was a time of joy. So the whole point, understanding Jesus is trying to express to them 
Okay, here we have as a wedding. What is the purpose of fasting? It's not for a time when there's joyfulness. And so if Jesus is present here, there's a time of joy because of, he brings a message of, of joy. And it is a time of, of fasting, that it's okay not to fast, simply expressing there. But also, in essence, he also answers the question, verse 21 through 22, he says, <clears throat> No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the new path pulls away from the old cloth, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts a new wine into a wineskin, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost as well as the skins, but new wine is for fresh wineskins. So he kind of asks the question, okay, what does spiritual growth look like in function? Because if that's the question we're asking at the beginning, what is that spiritual growth? What, is, what does it mean to be in a right relationship with Christ? And he uses the illustration of the wineskin and the purpose of that. And so as we go in, I thought, most of us don't know about wineskin making at all, so I try to put it into a modern context, just to explain a little bit. And we have some pictures here. What is a wineskin? And so the skin was used in making of the traditional wineskin is usually natural goat skin. It's obtained from farms in the area which are carefully selected. Once dried, they're tanned, and this is present day, they used vegetable extracts or tannins, which is uh, a shredded bark collected from trees, mimosa, pine, and oak. And with the help of a pattern, the skin is cut to the shape and reversed and sealed. And so as it goes through there kind of quickly, but you can go back, go back uh, Riley, just a couple slides. So right here, as you see, he takes the piece and then puts two sides and he actually is sewing them together. Then the next one, next two slides, you have that, he's sewing them together and he's pushing, he's stretching that out, there's a pole. They stretch it out. We're not sure exactly how they did it back then, but literally stretching that out. And so, um, using that pattern, but once cut, necessary to sew the wineskin, it's tacked and stitched and sewn, leaving it airtight. But once sewn, it's turned inside out, and it requires expertise of the craftsman. You blow hard, inflate it, turn it on the rod, and then it's ready for sealing on the inside because you have to make it waterproof. And the resin, you heat it, and it's applied to the interior and then allowed to cool, at which point the wineskin is already waterproof. The resin extract is extracted from these type of trees, and there would have been juniper trees, and prepared at a high temperature by the craftsman, and to seal the interior of the wineskin. And they checked the stitching and the impermeability. And um, what would happen in the process, and you can go to the next slide, what, can, what happens in the process is, if you were to try to put a wineskin on, you can't, because it isn't prepared, and it would burst to put that in. And so to understand is that you have to start all over again. And in the process here, as we look at going through, Jesus answers them, and it's very difficult because they wouldn't have understood. But the question is that they have, why aren't you following? Why aren't you fasting like these? And Jesus tells them, well, guess what? As we look at the context, look at what is taking place, there is an understanding in the next question because... When Jesus heard this, when have you never read what David said to them? And as we go down looking at this passage, he starts in the next section and says, No one who sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise a new patch, pulls away from the old cloth, 
and a worse tear is made, and no one puts a new wineskin into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins. And the wine is lost as well as the skins, but new wine is made for fresh wineskins. <coughs> In essence, some of this, he's, he's saying the same thing and looking at, you can't put a Band-Aid and cover up and treat a true spiritual issue. Because really, it's, a, it's an issue of the heart. It must be dealt with at the heart level. It's a process that requires time and patience. And sometimes it's easy. We want to fix an issue with just slapping over a, something new on it, fix it, patch, then it, it's good to go. If you think about put a patch on it and you deal with it later. But here he's talking about the process. As you think about it, you have to start from the beginning and endure the lengthy process. Jesus was teaching the proper interpretation of truth, but those with unprepared hearts would not be able to understand or accept it. And here, those, as we look at, at it, you know, why are you, you not do that? Why are they not fasting? But he deals with the issue, and as he's dealing with the teachings of what is to come, we look at the, in the next section. Because in chapter 2, verse 23 through 28, it says, On the Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to make their way, picking some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they... Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry, how they entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the sacred bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests, and also gave some to his companions? Then he told them the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. First thing as we look at and I try to put it into um, contemporary terms. He says, why are you not being biblical? Why are you not being biblical or lawful? At that time, referring to the Torah, the Old Testament, the law, the prophets. Why are you not following after what um, it says? And the Pharisees interpret the scripture incorrectly. And what's beautiful is that Jesus goes back to the scripture and says, don't you know the scripture? And the topic of the Sabbath, the topic is the Sabbath and the interpretation of the scripture. But the first thing we look at here is that Jesus asks them, is, or the question is, why are the disciples breaking biblical laws? That's kind of what they're asking. Why, is, why are the apostles breaking these laws? And really, gleaning, the un, gleaning was unlawful on the Sabbath, picking grain on the Sabbath. Now, the action was not condemned in the Scripture in the sense of being unlawful, and they appealed to Scripture, saying, don't you know the Scripture? Look, what they're doing is wrong. And... <clears throat> it's interesting because when these Pharisees who know the law and know the scriptures, but they interpret it, interpret it for their own benefit. And that's even a, a danger I want you to understand as, as people who take scripture and take it out of context of what it understands. So Jesus goes back to scripture and he says to them, what is taking place here? And hold your spot and go to Exodus 34. Go back to Genesis, Exodus 34. Exodus um, chapter 34, verse starting in 21. And it talks about gleaning, and it says... Um, 24, 
Six days you shall work, but on the seventh you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. You shall observe the feast of weeks and the first fruits of wheat harvest. And I'm like, okay, sorry, that is not the right to... Maybe it's 31. Let me look down. Thirty-five. Sorry, I usually have that. I must have wrote wrote down. It's the unlawful gleaning of on the Sabbath, and it's <clears throat> well. I apologize because uh, haven't been uh, feeling well this week, and so it, it represents. I'm sorry, it demonstrates that in the. In that text, so I, I'll, I won't even go there. I don't want to confuse you, but it refers to um, preparing, um, picking grain on the Sabbath, and um, the action was condemned. And looking at breaking the biblical laws there, and um, just going on, why were the disciples breaking the biblical laws? They ask, and just understanding here as we go back to the text in chapter chapter two. You know, they're asking um, what is taking place. And Jesus goes back to the scripture. And he wants them to understand that it was not breaking biblical law. And he, and he says, what is taking place here is that don't you know the scriptures? Let's look at, go back to the scriptures that you're referring to. Because one of the challenges is that as you look at what was taking place the second question is, what does the scripture teach regarding the heart of the law? So why are the apostles breaking biblical law? And as it was going through, don't you know that David, as an example, David, we read through in chapter 2, it says, David, verse 25, have you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the sacred bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest, and also gave some to his companions. Well, he says, don't you know that there's an exception in there? And what is the exception? Because it is true that uh, you aren't eat, supposed to eat the bread, but what is the heart of what the scripture says? Because oftentimes the, the Pharisees and even these other disciples follow the letter of the law. And even in ourselves, we always want clarity. If God could just tell us what specifically we're supposed to do, what, how are we supposed to live? What would be our right steps in, from getting to point A to Z where we are truly following after God's plan for our lives? Wouldn't that be easy? We could just follow the simple instructions. What do we do in this situation? God's, what does God's word say? Well, I don't know because here it says, you know, I'm supposed to love my neighbor. And then the Pharisees said, oh, what does that look like? Love your neighbor as yourself. And so getting to the heart of the scripture, and so, okay, they would say, okay, love my neighbor. Okay, so specifically the word neighbor, this is how we think logically. Um, love my neighbor, showing love. My neighbor is the one who is right next to me. So I have to be kind only to that person. But I don't have to be kind to my boss, my coworker, or any of my other family members. It's just my neighbor. And so we try to put these qualifications on what the word of God says. Well, here we see what does the scripture teach regarding the heart of the law. As we go to what Jesus speaks about, it's understanding the Sabbath is not the main issue, although Seventh-day Adventists would say that it is. It's not about what is taking place on the Sabbath. And I remember even 
when um, there was a time where Christians were, tr- were trying to qualify, what do we do on, on Sunday? Are we allowed to do this or that? Try to keep, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. What does that look like? But yet here Jesus, as he sees, um, it is understanding what is the root or the heart of the text. And there are beliefs that we hold to, good or bad, that have no biblical basis. And they're more based upon traditions and past cultural norms. You know, ties. Uh, Some churches, you go into a church, they're wearing a tie, some you don't. Really, it's not about wearing a tie. You can wear a tie, you can wear a suit, you can wear no tie. That's not the issue. It's the heart. What is the heart of the issue, though, is where's your heart at? Offering plates. We, we pass an offering. Do you have to pass an offering in order to be a good church? Not really. Some churches don't do offerings. That's not the issue. <clears throat> you can do it online. Pay online. I mean, that's what we'll, we look at. Is there, how about, um, I just, piano and organ. We have one, but you know what? Those aren't biblical instruments in the sense that you have to have those to be a good uh, church, or even in right relationship with God, Bible versions. There were some um, who, you know, we don't want to get involved in technology. Well, I believe that technology is an important part because we can use it as a tool, but not as a distraction. Now, I don't want to distract, so let's go back to what the Word of God says as we look at here, what is the root? As we, as we look at these questions, what does the Scripture say teach regarding the heart of the law? And I haven't answered these questions for a purpose, just so that as we look at going through these, I, I just want to put some questions in your head. But the question is, as we look at number three, what is the priority? Because he, he leads up, and Jesus, what I appreciate about Jesus' ministry is he asks a lot of questions. Do you put these into the wineskins, he asks about? Do you do this or that? Because a lot of these questions, they can't answer, and he doesn't answer it either. But here we go to the last part of this is, what is the priority? What is the priority in looking at that text and going back to, as we see here in uh, chapter 2, looking at the high priest? And if we, if we go back and just understanding in verse 26 and 27, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar. And this is obviously David was fleeing from Saul and what was taking place here. And the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And so he explains what is the purpose because the heart of the Pharisees was that you are doing something wrong on the Sabbath. It is all about you are breaking this rule, the Sabbath. You cannot do that. And they put lots of laws on the Sabbath to do good or to keep the letter of the law. There was an original intent in making the Sabbath day holy. First, In an agrarian society, it was important to rest physically, but also spiritually. And time set apart to focus upon spiritual matters is good for the body and the soul. Enter modern thought, because what happens is we, what can we get away with in the letter of the law, but not the heart of it? And just to give you some ideas of, in the the book of Jubilees and Damascus document, the rabbinical teachings regarding the Sabbath. So here's some of them. There was a list of Sabbath commandments, and there was no discussing work. You couldn't even discuss work because that would violate the Sabbath. Um, fasting and making war. You, um, there was a list of prohibitions that said you cannot engage in idle talk nor mingle with others. You could not walk abroad to do business. 
nor cause Gentiles to do business for him. You could not discuss business. You could not rebuke a servant. You could not go more than a thousand cubits from town, two thousand to pasture beasts outside town. You may not carry a child from place to place. Sorry, mothers, you couldn't carry your child around. Um, this, you could not assist a beast to give birth nor lift an animal out which falls into a pit. You can, however, use a ladder or rope to get a human out of water or fire. So that's nice to know. You know, if one of you were um, in fire, you can actually help them out on the Sabbath. But these were laws that they tried to um, come about to say, okay, these are things you can do or can't do. And these rules testified to the variety of practices and disagreements which had arisen during this time. So they're discussing what are all these laws, what, um, following the law. So they were so concerned with following the letter of the laws that they forgot what was the intent or the heart of the law. And Jesus brings them back to that. <clears throat> and really, if you, if you get anything about this message this morning, it's really as you think about and read the scriptures, because most people don't read scriptures throughout the week. I'd encourage you to do that. But what, how do we interpret scripture correctly? Get to the heart of the text and understand it. Read it. And think about it. Meditate it. Look at it. Ask questions. When was it written? Who was it written to? Why was it written? Because so often we take the text and just pull it out of context and then try to apply it to today's life. But ultimately, as we stand before God, it's, it'll be better that we followed, would it be, will it be better that we followed the laws of a religious instruction, that we were in church every Sunday, that we gave money, that we um, followed after, obeyed everything that we thought the church said? And I'm not telling you to not come to church, not tithe, not give, not pray. Those are all essential, important parts. But if, the, but if your heart is not right before God, then what benefit is it to you? If we have served God with a heart of devotion, it is more important to fill this building with people, not that wear suits and ties, not that um, <clears throat> look the perfect part. I would rather that we fill this church um, building with people who are messy, who, who li whose lives need to hear the gospel and be transformed by its power, but also our testimony that God is working in your lives, that they are ministering and serving Christ with such a passion that they really believe and see that God is doing great works here, that there are ones who have been transformed by the power of God that can give a testimony of what God is doing in their life, ones who have been transformed and their hearts are committed to seeing Jesus change each of us in this ministry, ones who are committed to praying to see lives come to Christ, because it's all about what is our purpose in life. Christ loves us so much that he left us in this world with the desire to share Christ with others. Ultimately, we know that our goal is to honor and glorify Christ. But let me ask you that. What does that look like, to honor and glorify Christ? Well, that means that I lived a perfect life on earth, that I followed after his laws, and that um, I knew doctrine back and forth. I want you to know the Word of God and how to live it correctly, but I also want you to share it with others because um, being godly and living in a way that honors and glorifies God means that you are living for Christ when life is not easy, when maybe you're, you're dealing with struggles at your work, when you, you have coworkers that are just ungodly, and you know what? They, they bother you. People are giving you 
<coughs> challenges. Or maybe it's the fact that you are trying to, to combat pornography. Or you're, you're trying to live and do what is right. That honors God when you make great choices in the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you are, are being transparent and saying, you know what, God, I'm dealing with some struggles with money. You know, I can't get control of money, and it's, it's becoming, I'm becoming a slave to it, but I need help. And committing that to Christ and doing those forward. Too often we want to look and try to live the part of being the perfect Christian. But I would rather you be a messy individual, but one whose heart is submitted to God and desires to live for God. One who is committed to saying, you know what? <clears throat> I want to get right with God. I want to serve him. I want what, his plan for my life. I want to be able to be at the point where I can share Christ with others. Because when you are sharing Christ with others, it doesn't mean that you're going to people's doors and just knocking at the doors. That's one way to do it. But guess what? When you have a heart that is burdened for other people, God is going to bring those into your life. You don't even have to go look for them. They're, they're going to come into your life. You're going to have opportunities both to get to know them and know them as a person. Sometimes we, our first initial response is to share Christ with them. But to be concerned for them as a soul, a person who doesn't know if they were to die today that they would go to heaven. And you, we, you and I, each of us, encounter those individuals. But let me ask you this. When is the last time that you have led someone to Christ, an adult? When is the last time you prayed specifically for someone to say, you know what, I'm concerned about so-and-so? If you're here this morning and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if you have confessed your sins and asked Jesus Christ to come into your life and you have placed your trust in his death, burial, and resurrection, then you are a child of God. And there is peace that passes all understanding. There is a hope that you have that, you know what, someday if anything were to happen to you, you would be in heaven. That's a peace. And there's a joy in that as well. But your, your purpose on earth is not finished. Those that you encounter, what benefit is it if they, you know, what, what has occurred if you have not had a concern for those in our community, those around you, those you encounter? And you don't have to know doctrine. You don't have to know all of the truths. Sometimes it's simply inviting them to church. Sometimes it's simply, hey, you know what? This is what Jesus is doing in my life. How can we be, know the motivation of the heart in, in, in the heart of Scripture? The Old Testament points us to Christ. And in the New Testament, it points back to the cross. It's all about the redemptive story, the fact of what Jesus did on the cross. He died on the cross to forgive our sins. And if we have lived our life in simply saying, hey, I came to Christ, and guess what? Now I'm good. I'm secure. I'm happy. I can just wait until he returns. I encourage you this morning to think about the concern for those around us. And really, as I went even this week into a conference, it really burdened myself to thinking about, you know, how concerned are we as a church and how can I direct this church to be concerned about those? Because it can't be just me. I can go to these houses and I can communicate and I can try to interact with each one. But if I have an impassioned and enabled you, each of you, to be able to have that burden, to pray that the Holy Spirit would work in your life, to understand the joyfulness of serving Christ, but also knowing what it lives to, by the power of Christ. The true motivation can't come from me, can't come from anyone, but it can come from the Holy Spirit, a life that is submitted to living out what the Word of God says. 
And for those who have heart of hearts, Scripture is going to be a parable. It's going to be simply these stories that I can't understand. But the more we spend time in reading the Word, in praying, and trying to grow in our relationship with Christ, do you know what? The Word of God becomes a little clearer. It becomes more significant. It becomes more meaningful. It becomes also convicting. Because when it comes to that point where we read through Scripture and it's like, oh, I need to change. Have you ever been at a time where someone tells you, or you've had a friend who tells you what you needed to hear, but you didn't want to hear at the time? There's friends in your life, and you need to keep them, who tell you what you need to hear. And sometimes you totally disagree with it. But then you go back and think about it. You know what? That friend was right. And you're grateful to that friend because they told you the truth at a time when you needed to hear it. Because a lot of your friends are just going to tell you what you want to hear. But let me tell you, the Word of God tells us what we need to hear. And sometimes we don't always like it. But yet, in the power of Christ, we can change and it can transform our lives and we can live in such a way that we experience true joy. So I want to challenge you this morning, just in closing, that let not your hearts become hardened toward the lost nor those who are trying to reach them. When Jesus starts working, I truly believe that it'll be, you won't be able to stop someone coming to Christ. We're so afraid of saying the wrong words when we interact with others about Jesus. But if we are praying for those lost, when we are praying for those unsaved who do not know Jesus as our Savior, we can't stop them from coming to Christ. Because we have a message, and it's the Holy Spirit working in their life that will provide that true understanding and joy. And we have the privilege to share with them what Christ has done in our life. But we also have the responsibility to live in such a way that people want to see Christ. Because too often we live defeated lives. We live like oh, you know what? There's no joy. There's no happiness. I'm not saying you have to be happy. We must not confuse joy with happiness. Joyfulness, even in times where times are difficult, where we know that God is in control and has a plan. Did you know that we can, when we submit to his will, we might not always understand, it might not go our way, but the, but the purpose that is lived out we can see and identify and understand that God had a purpose and God is in control and that he was able to use each one of us in those circumstances. Religious leaders were watching Jesus and in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, God asked them a question, motive of the heart. And just as a picture, what happens is, as we look in there, where he heals <coughs> him on the Sabbath and they're waiting for it. And it's, it's amazing because they don't care about that person was healed. They just want to say, oh, look, he healed on the Sabbath. And he asked them a question, motive of the heart. There's no answer. The question he asks is, which is better, to heal? Um, stand before him. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do what is good or to do what is evil, to save life or to kill? And in their hardness of hearts, they don't answer at all. And in their no answer, Jesus demonstrates just an anger and sadness of their, of their hardness of heart. And immediately, it, we see their hearts as well, their negative response by the Pharisees and Herodians who seek to destroy him. And I pray that we may never arrive at that point, that our hearts might be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we may never lose the sight of, what is God's purpose for my life? And may that be your motivation, because there are those around you who I truly believe that God can use to benefit, to share Christ with. 
and even the people that God is going to bring into your lives to help you understand what is your purpose in life and how you can serve and grow and to love him more because there is no greater joy than that. And as we think about the transition to the cross, it is all about the cross, of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. If you're here this morning and have never trusted, place your trust in Jesus Christ to believe that God is, will do what he promised, that Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive your sins, to remove that penalty from you. I pray that today might be the day. Let's just, as we transition, I'm going to ask deacons to come, that they would just sit right here. The rest of you, if we just take a moment and just evaluate our hearts, where are we at? Is our motivation about what Jesus Christ...